This special program was brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. My guest today is Ari Weinzweig, author of A Lapsed Anarchist's Approach to Managing Ourselves. Hello, Ari. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Okay. So uh, I want to tell our listeners that this book, Managing Ourselves, is part three in a series Part one is building a great business. Part two is being a better leader. Um, But I want to tell our listeners also, I'm sure most of them know, that Ari is the co-founder of a small empire in Ann Arbor, Michigan, known as Zingerman's, which started uh, over 30 years ago as a deli and now as a community of businesses, including Zingtrain, which, Ari, can you describe Zingtrain for our listeners? Absolutely, it's a little. It's our little training business, uh-huh. and uh, we. I mean, essentially, we just do training on the ways that we work. So we we don't really do consulting. We just teach our way of doing it, and the belief that others can adapt it to what they do. And uh, the the core of the work revolves around uh, two day seminars that we do here in Ann Arbor on everything from leadership to customer service to visioning to our approach to open book finance and that sort of thing. And then also we uh, more and more go out on the road and do training for other organizations on their sites as well. Uh huh. Now, is it um, do many cheese people come to Zing Train, or is it a lot of oh food yeah? Businesses? Well, we, when we so. It, Zing Train's actually celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. Uh, Maggie Bayless is the managing partner, mm-hmm. and uh, it started just, you know, in her attic with a computer and a phone and a fax uh, in 94, and uh, today, let's see, it's her and about 10 people working there, mm-hmm. and uh, when we started, we, we had primarily the specialty food world in mind, including cheese, but it's really sort of... It's, it's expanded way beyond that to the point where many seminars have almost no one in the food business wow. uh, attending. Um, but we definitely have done a lot with cheese. Uh, in fact, we have sort of a tradition now, actually, in, in March. Uh, we've, the last three years, I think, we've done a, an open book finance seminar primarily for cheese people mm-hmm. and had folks from Neil's Yard Dairy and Jasper Hill and a whole host of others. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get this out of the way first. Please, okay. <laughs> please describe for perhaps our less politically savvy listeners and myself, what okay. do you mean by lapsed anarchist? Okay, well, <laughs> I guess first we should talk about the anarchists. So, okay, okay. And then I'll tell you about lapsed. So, okay. so uh I studied the I studied Russian history here at University of Michigan, and I had a particular interest in the anarchist.
we have the largest anarchist collection in the country. Here is on the seventh floor of the Graduate Library. It's called the Labadie Collection. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to go up there and read obscure books, yeah. which I like. Um, I can so, tell I mean, the, from the your writing. Overt, the, most, the most overt piece of anarchist stuff is always about getting rid of government, which has never been my cause or my issue. But uh, there was a lot more to it than that in terms of free choice and, and respecting every individual as a the unique human being that they are, and uh, it's it was not the same as Marxism. In fact, the anarchists were actually antithetically opposed to Marx and and to big business. So it was it was sort of a triangular relationship. Um, anyways, it w- when I started to manage people in restaurants, which is now a long time ago, probably mm-hmm. thirty five years ago, uh, I tried leaving everybody alone in my sort of anarchist leaning belief that everyone would self organize to do the right thing, and of course that. Um, miserably, and and so I abandoned that. And then for years, I would say I was a lapsed anarchist because I still believed in it, but I didn't practice. Uh, so like a lapsed Catholic. So so probably five or six years ago, uh, when I was working on the first business book, which as you said is uh, building a great business. Uh, around that time, I was asked by uh, Deborah Dash Moore, who runs the Jewish Studies Department here, to come and speak. And uh, she titled the talk Rye Bread and Anarchism because she had heard me tell my story before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when I reference anarchists at business conference, nobody knows who they are. And so I don't really worry about it one way or the other. But, but you know, when you're going to the Jewish Studies Department, they know who all these people are. And I didn't want to look stupid. So I started to, you know, go, I thought, you know, I better go back and reread some of my old books. And uh-huh. the more I the more I read, the more I was blown away because even with my interest, I had forgotten really so much of the work that was beneath that getting rid of government surface level mm-hmm. stuff. And, you know, it was all about respecting individuals and free choice and about people's creative potential and how when you don't believe in the work that you're doing, your energy flags and the quality of your work mm-hmm. goes down and how an organization's purpose is really to help the individuals within it grow and develop. And I'm start, I start to reread all this and I'm like, Hey, this is really similar to progressive business literature. Right, you liked it. I also read, and B, this is very similar to how we've set up the organization, and not that we consciously tried to do it as as an anarchist thing. It's just, you know, the way that we came to work. I started to realize was very uh, much embedded in in a lot of the stuff Mm -hmm. that people were writing 100, 125, Mm -hmm. 150 years ago. Your beliefs kind of led you to run a business that way, and you weren't even aware of it. Yeah, I think, as you know, from your psychology work, I mean, sometimes there's subsurface stuff that we're not fully mindful of, but it's still very much within our sort of view, you know, the way we view the world and the lenses Mm -hmm. through which we view things. And we're, you know, the things that drew me to it when I was 19 and in school, you know, free choice, people being respected for who they were, uh, you know, not being very bonded into groups and group assignment of identity and all those kind of things all played now into the way that we run the organization and mm-hmm. you know are, are now considered very much progressive business stuff right I mean, uh you know all of jim collins stuff about you can't you know you need to get the right people on the bus and uh, you know it's mm-hmm. it's all it's all very uh, comparable and 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 uh so we're congruent with what they were doing mm-hmm. it sounds more humanist to me it, well, the humanist was a very much a, a piece of that, and, mm-hmm. and and certainly the idea that everybody's a unique individual as opposed to a, you know, assigning a national state identity uh, mm-hmm. would be right up that alley. 
Right, right. Now, in your introduction to book one, um, you say the all the ideas are your own, and you call them half-baked. But I'm thinking you've written three long and dense books already, and I've only thoroughly read the third, I have to admit. I did mm-hmm. not read all three. Um, but you're very consistent. Your worldview, your business acumen, uh, how can you say they're half-baked? I don't know, but I said it four or five years ago. And <laughs> oh, you were thinking. You were covering I, yourself. <laughs> I'd, I'd have to look at the sentence, but I like alliteration, so it probably fit in with that. And oh, okay. our baking work, and I don't know. I, okay. I, I mean, I think every, I, I, that said, though, I guess, you know, everything is kind of in the process of developing, and I think mm-hmm. that... Um, you know, my I guess my point would be just really that none of this is written in stone and that, you know, every day I learn new things and, and through what I learned then I add to, to what I knew before and the way that I view things. And, you know, that's one of the natural laws is just that people are constantly developing and learning new things. So mm-hmm. let's mm-hmm. put it in that context. Okay, okay. Uh, a good phrase that um, I thought uh, would help readers understand your basic concepts was the difference between trust and track versus command and control. Can mm-hmm. you explain that a little bit about how sure. it relates it's, to your businesses? It's a, it's a phrase that Bo Burlingham, who's one of the, who's a editor at large at Inc. Magazine, uh, who wrote the foreword for the first book that he used. And yeah, I mean, the old model. Uh, and this is true whether it was what the anarchists were fighting against or what I, I think progressive business is, is lined up itself up against is, is very command and control. It's about autocracy and, you know, the person at the top, uh, more often than not a male, but the person at the top making the decisions and making the choices. Uh, and the idea that you can control people in the organization or control the market or whatever, uh, I guess for me, I would say, you know, part of what I wrote in the book and a lot in the second book, it, it's it's actually all out of control. Uh, you it's know, all we, we out of control? We don't even control ourselves, let alone anybody else or the market or the weather or, mm-hmm. or natural resources. What we have are varying degrees of influence. And uh, the idea of trust and track is to, to, to get people, in, that Bo wrote about, is to, to get people involved in running the business and, and then to trust that they're going to you know, try to do the right thing, and that by having measurement systems, and for us that would be a lot about open book finance, which is a whole other subject, uh, they and you can see how things are going, and everybody's reading the same numbers and getting the same sense of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Now, at what point did you start doing open book finance in the company? Uh, we probably started uh, early 90s, mid-90s, and I would say, you know, I generally say we did it probably C-plus for the first five or six, seven years, and we've probably done it A-minus for the last mm-hmm. six or seven years, eight years. Um, it's just, I, I mean, it's not really in, it's it's mentioned in all three of the business books, but it's going to be uh, probably part five will be on open book finance much more in depth. But I'm a big believer in the system. We do a whole two-day Zing Train seminar on it, and it, it's much more than just showing people your financial statements. It's really a, a, a method of running the organization because it's as, pl- as applicable for not-for-profits as it is for for-profits. Uh, it's it's a process where you're involving everyone in the organization and running and running it. And mm-hmm. in order to do that, they need to know the numbers because mm-hmm. how can you make good decisions if you don't know what's going right. on? And is a major effect of that having everyone feel included and then? Uh, more enthusiastic about the business? Yeah, I, I, without question. Uh, I, I mean, I think that what we've done 
and and the book sort of convey this is that we've put together I don't know fifteen different pieces mm-hmm. that that uh, each of which might exist somewhere else, but none of which exist altogether. So I think Open Book certainly does that. I think that visioning, uh, which is a huge part of the way we work, and focusing on on what our desired future is and doing that collaboratively, that gets people involved. Uh, Having a values-driven organization certainly gets people feeling more aligned with what the organization is trying to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Having products that people believe in, which certainly in the cheese world, in the specialty cheese world, is fairly common, but not that common out in the corporate world at large. Mm -hmm. You know, people are working in jobs where they don't care about what they're doing. It's a paycheck, which if you don't have a job is obviously critical, but mm-hmm. in terms of taking it to the next level, it's hard to really get excited about something that you're not, you know, you don't believe is, is special or great. Mm-hmm. So, you know, servant leadership is another thing that I've written about, you know, which is the idea of the leader serving the frontline staff in the organization instead of the other way around. So there's, there's quite a few pieces coming into play, but Open mm-hmm. Book is certainly one big one. Okay. Now, reading this book as both someone who has worked in cheese shops and with cheesemakers, plus as a psychologist, I feel you're describing the world's most mentally healthy job environment I have ever heard of. <laughs> well, I'm not that competitive, so I don't know if we're the most healthy, but... Uh, well, it's the impressive. Idea, the, 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 the standards sorry, are impressive. <laughs> well, we're, we're trying. Uh, I, I think that part of what you know, some of the things that have become ever clear to me, and some of it's in the books, and, and, and it's ever clear to me as I teach and, and write even more. But, you know, what the anarchist said, I mean, you can't have a great organization without great people in it. Mm. And if the people, you know, I, I'm much more from the idea of a sustainable ecosystem, right? Mm. And in a sustainable ecosystem, all the elements of the ecosystem are essentially healthy. And so if you have people who are who don't feel good, who don't feel good about themselves, who don't know how to manage themselves well, well, the odds of having a great organization seem very low. I mean, it's hard enough even when we are managing ourselves well. Right. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, that the role of the organization, if, if we help people grow and, and develop lives that they believe in and feel good about, I mean, can't that not but have a positive impact on the organization? And then when the organization is running in a relatively healthy way, can't that not but have a positive impact on their lives outside of work and so the whole idea is to create this virtuous cycle you know in which everyone's winning and mm-hmm. including the community uh, and including the suppliers and I and I think that if you contrast that to the old model it's very much win-lose uh, and very much sort of a zero-sum game mentality you know the owners try to hold down the wages of the employees to make more money the employees mm-hmm. get a union to try to fight back you know, people try to cheat the supplier. The supplier tries to cheat the, the right, business. Right. Uh, you know, the business demands tax breaks, then they leave. I mean, it's it's just it's a all vicious very cycle. Sort of win lose, zero sum game, and, mm-hmm. and we're much more from a. You know, everybody can help everybody else to do better, mm-hmm. and that the, the healthier the ecosystem that we're operating in, the healthier we're going to be as an organization. The better I'm going to feel as an individual, and the people within our organization the same. Now, doesn't everyone want to work there, though? You know, a lot of people do, but I, you know, it's it's also harder. I mean, in many ways, uh, you know, going for greatness is more work. Uh-huh. I think it's I think it's good work, but uh, you know, if you've been raised to sort of be a, a, a passive bystander and be mad at your boss, then we're not a good place to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's if if you're not inclined to give great service to customers, who can let's face it, not always be 
be right. to give great service to. Uh, you know, it's 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 it may not be the right place for people. You know, open book finance is a fabulous system, but it demands that you start to pay attention to how the business works. You know, and that you take responsibility for the effective operation of the organization. And mm-hmm. you know, the reality is most people aren't used to that, and they're they're used to just sort of wanting more for themselves and being mad at the boss. Right. You know, often for very often, unfortunately, for good reason, but being mad at the boss for for not giving them more. You know, which is a very, in my mind, a very parent-child, you know, relationship, which your psychology work, (laughs) you could probably teach it better than me. But, uh, you know, and this is much more about peer-to-peer and adult-to-adult, and everybody's, you know, has equal uh, value and everybody's important and not in a sort of paternalistic, you know, Mm -hmm. we really care about you, you know, honey, but more in Mm -hmm. the reality, you know, if the server on the front line, the, the the person working the counter, the person loading the truck isn't doing a great job and doesn't believe in what they're doing, the organization is, is going to suffer. No, what, what struck me is the respect for the individual and the, you know, trying to accentuate the individual's talents and put them in the right place and have them yep. flourish. Uh, that's pretty impressive. It only makes sense, though, when you think about it, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, of course, it's logical, but uh, the world doesn't usually work that way. No, they don't. And I, I uh, you know, people, you know, we're all raised in whatever setting. And so there's so few organizations. There's other people out in the world trying to do good work. Certainly, you know, we're not the only ones. But I mean, the reality, as you said, is most people are not working in this setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and consequently, they don't know how to do it. Uh, and, you know, it's hard to be different in the mm-hmm. same way. I mean, with cheese now, when we sell specialty cheese, you know, we're mostly selling to the converted. You know, 30 years ago when we opened, you know, trying to sell goat cheese to somebody in Michigan that had never had it was, you know, much more of an uphill battle. Right. Um, so. Okay, we got to take a break, a short yeah, break ahead. right yeah. now. This is Diane Stemple talking to Ari Weinzweig on Cutting the Curd. We'll be right back. Farm families of Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board are proud to underwrite Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Wisconsin cheeses have an illustrious heritage of more than 170 years of quality and craftsmanship. During this long and rich history, the art and science of cheesemaking have been captured in time-honored traditions that produce cheese varieties of unsurpassed excellence. Today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit www.eatwisconsincheese.com. 
Hi, we're back on Cutting the Curd. It's Diane Stemple talking to Ari Weinzweig about his book, Managing Ourselves and the Others in the Series. So, Ari, I'm thinking um, we sort of touched on it before the break. Aren't some people just too messed up to adjust to this healthy climate? I think we're all kind of messed up, which is, again, you, <laughs> well, you know, from your, yes, I, I, that's from a fact. your work. I, it's certainly, <laughs> I, I think most of this, I don't think, I know that very little of this came naturally to me. I mean, it's all just learning, you know, but uh-huh. uh, I, I believe that anybody can learn to work in a more productive way. And if mm-hmm. I learned it, anybody else could learn it too. And, you know, I, I think it's more, do they want to do it? Mm-hmm. The first question and the second question, and it's sort of iterative, but the second question is, are they in a setting that's going to let them? You know, so if you're in an unhealthy setting, you read an article or an essay from one of these books and it sounds good and you try to do it and your boss stomps on you, uh, you know, or your coworkers roll their eyes and tell you you're crazy and you don't have, you know, the understanding of, of how to go forward, you know, people get discouraged and they lose hope and they give up. and. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, it's, it's again, to come back to food because that's what we do. But, you know, it's so common in the food world. I mean, people read an article about, you know, about how great goat cheese is, and they happen into a not-so-great retailer, and they buy a mm-hmm. not-very-good piece of goat cheese, and they spend $30 a pound for it, and they get it home, and it tastes terrible. Mm-hmm. And they're convinced that they don't like goat cheese. Right. Uh, you know, similarly with cooking, I mean, people... Uh, you know, they don't cook a lot, so they're uncomfortable in the kitchen, they're awkward, and they don't have a good feel for it. You know, they decide, okay, that's it, the family's coming, I'm going to take that in this, you know, this event, and I'm going to cook this great meal, and they find some difficult-to-cook dish. They fail. It doesn't work well, and they go, you know, I'm bad at cooking. Mm-hmm. This is never going to work. And mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, like anything, I mean, if you're in a good setting, using good ingredients, uh, and you stick with it, and you got a clear vision of where you're going, the odds are pretty high you'll get there. Mm-hmm. How do you evaluate new hires? Do you do it differently? Well, we have a whole we have a whole approach to interviewing and hiring, and we teach actually two days in train seminar on our HR practices. Uh, but I, I think, I mean, in a nutshell, I guess a I would say no matter how good your hiring is, ours or anyone else, it's still fifty, sixty, seventy percent at best that you're going to get the right person. Okay. Uh, I think it's far more important is what you do with them after you have them okay. uh, because I think most people want to do the right thing and do good work and be part of something great but you know they're not going to figure it out on their own right uh, and and so when they're on a healthy team and it's one of the natural laws uh, in this book and the first book is people do their best work when they're part of a great organization and so you know if you go to work somewhere where mostly people are complaining and where they tell you oh don't try that it'll never work and you know, stop working so hard, you're going to mm-hmm. make us all look bad, and yeah. the boss is a jerk, and, you know, the pe- most people fit in, and the right. people who really hate that leave. Right. So right. the organization, you know, remains in that in that sort of negative mm-hmm. state, and again, you know from your psychology work, but there's quite a bit of data now about the contagious nature of emotion, mm-hmm. and that negative emotion is much more quickly contagious than positive, so... Right. You know, when people are in a negative, complaining, cynical environment, uh, you know, it's hard not to stay negative and cynical. Right. Uh, conversely, you know, if we bring people in and we create positive structures, uh, we, we teach them, which is one of the natural laws. People do their best work when they know what's expected of them mm-hmm. and they have the resources to do the work. Uh, you know, we reinforce it. We, 
you know, hopefully create a, a positive, if of course, imperfect culture uh, to support that work. And, and I think, you know, they start to feel better. When they feel better, again, it creates that virtuous cycle because if they feel better and you come in as a customer, right, they're going to give you better service. Right. <laughs> when you get better service, You'll you like make the a place positive more. impression and you mm-hmm. spend more money. Right. You know, that, right. that in turn helps the finance. When the numbers are better, right. you know, stress is lower. When stress is lower, people do better work. So right. And you want to come back and buy more cycle. because they were so nice. You want to come back and buy more, buy more yeah, food absolutely. because it was so fun. Absolutely. Now, what percent do you feel stay of your of your new hires? You know, our turnover runs in the mid thirties. Uh, the food business national norm is about two hundred percent. And uh, you know, we're in a town. You know, one of the natural laws is strengths lead to weaknesses. So Ann Arbor, which I love, uh, home of the University of Michigan, we mm-hmm. have all the advantages of being in a college town. It's a very youthful energy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of smart, creative people, uh, a lot of people with varied backgrounds, which contributes, you know, significantly to our creativity and the creativity of the town. You know, the weakness that comes with, with being in an academic setting is everybody's leaving. And, you know, so right, there's I, turnover, I natural turnover. Yeah, if the norm is 200%, we're doing pretty good in the okay. 30s. Yeah, great. How soon do you figure out mistakes, and do you fire people? Uh, we do fire people. Uh, we make mistakes. You know, I've probably made 15 mistakes already this morning, and I don't even know what they are yet. Um, you know, mistakes are sometimes they're obvious. We mm-hmm. The customer complains, which is why one of our steps to handling complaints is to thank the guest for letting us know. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, sometimes I mean, it's. I think the reality of, of human existence is we all make mistakes, and and that it's really more about the collaborative nature of the group that we're in, and and again, getting in a healthy setting where customers care about us, we care about the customer. People are a lot more patient. Uh, there's a lot more resilience to the relationships, you know, than in a more brittle, you know, price-driven setting. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as people are mad, they're done. Uh, when people care about you and they feel a, a, a loyalty to you and we feel one to them, then we, you know, the, the odds of working together collaboratively to get to success go up drastically. Mm-hmm. Now, a few questions about actually writing these books. How long mm-hmm. does it take to write one? They seem very dense. This one took my whole life. Uh, <laughs> Okay. Uh, you know, it's it's a good question, and I get asked that a lot. But I I've never actually sat down with a blank piece of paper or uh-huh. blank screen and started a book. I, uh-huh. I write a lot, and then I usually organize, reorganize, reorganize, rewrite, okay. change, rewrite. So it's it's you know. But I think this one, you know, given that a lot of the material was written in other forms and then probably was rewritten twenty two times. Okay. In the okay. process of doing the book, it was about two years. Okay. So do you do you have a time or a place where you just write, or are you just writing uh, sometimes? No, that's also a good question. But I'm much more. I just squeeze it in wherever I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for better and for worse, I have a high ability to focus, which you know can lead if I'm not careful into blocking things out that right. I have to pay attention to. But, right, because you write but, about uh, being in the back of the room with the other people, yeah. and I'm yeah. imagining you're just typing into your computer, writing your book there. Yep, I can I can kind of do it anywhere. Okay, okay. It's written in your unique voice. Uh, is there a lot of editing from other people or advice on the format? Uh, there's always editing. I mean, I think to your point about mistakes, I mean, you know, a good editor can and does help uh, a lot. Uh, so this is, 
I mean, it's, it needs to be true to my. That's my voice. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no, there's no question. And correct. Uh, we've we've gone back to self-publishing, and one of the beauties of that is I get to make the final decision. So, you know, but if I'm doing a good job, I listen to most of what the editors have to say, and you know, okay. and or go back and rewrite it to try to to get my point across more clearly. But I guess uh, specifically, let's say this book uh, had a broad copy edit or a broad edit a second broad edit for content, then it goes, uh, you know, to a copy editor, then a line editor, then a bunch of proofers, mm-hmm. uh, plus all the other people I sent it to to look at, you mm-hmm. know, throughout throughout the process. Um, I, I think for me, you know, to the question about voice, I, if it doesn't sound like something I would say, then I'm not doing a good job. Okay. Are the books used in Zingtrain, or are they like the... Uh... Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing... I won't say nothing. There's hardly anything that's in the books that we don't actively teach in one okay. form or another mm-hmm. uh, within the organization. And this book is maybe a little bit different because what's happening is from the book, now we're starting to teach more more extensively about self-management, although okay. all the core elements of this certainly we've, we've taught. Um, but I just did a day up in Portland, Maine a few weeks ago uh, just on self-management that really came out of the book. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think there's more resistance to the concept of self-management than the businessy, more businessy books because it's more like therapy? Uh, I don't think anybody consciously argues against it. Mm-hmm. Any more than they would say, like you know, whatever equal rights are bad. I mean, it's 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 really more the application than in the conceptual. Okay. Uh, in fact, in fact, I guess I would say there's far more resistance to the idea of doing visioning uh, or open book finance, you know, because those require overt changes. Okay. Uh, the, the the internal work is easy to agree with, it's harder, I guess, to do. Okay. Uh, that said, I, I think in a really positive way, it's it's really blown me away, I mean, how positive people's reaction is. And it's very, I mean, really with all three books, and then this one in particular, because uh, as, as I would guess you could tell, I mean, I put a lot, not that the others don't have a lot of my own stuff in them, but this is even more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and as you know, it's, it's a little scary, awkward, whatever, to make oneself vulnerable, and especially in a business context, it's not the norm, you know, but I think in order to make it meaningful and connect to people's uh, internal work, you know, on on their side, it's really important for me to model it on my end, and and, and it's really, it's quite remarkable, I mean, so there's, as you know, I mean, there's a lot in this book about journaling, which I do almost every day, and Mm -hmm. uh, how much it's helped me, and, and how much difference it's made, and so in the two one day managing ourselves that I've done one in Sonoma and then this recent one in Portland uh, where there were a lot of cheese people by the way uh, at both of those but I, I I had people do I don't know probably like a seven minute stint of journaling mm-hmm. you know which is really nothing in the right. scheme of the world in my mind but I mean it, it's it, it, it was great. I mean, mm-hmm. people were like, I feel, you know, one woman said, I feel like a hundred years, a hundred pounds were lifted off my yeah. shoulders. You know, another, somebody else said, I feel like I'm 10 years younger. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just wow. remarkable. And that's, that's in great. five, six, seven minutes. Yeah. And, you know, again, just like everything else in life, because I do it every day. It's like, I know it's important, but you know, I'm past this. For me, it's more maintenance. It's not, right. it's not, I don't need, I don't have the hundred pounds on my shoulders, but when you really haven't done this in, in your whole life or in 30 years, it's, it's quite, uh, quite powerful. a big thing. And that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty powerful. If a somewhat traditional business person 
is in one of the classes. What are the hardest mm-hmm. hurdles to help them over? Well, I, I think I guess one of the things I would just to state the slightly obvious is the people who are really opposed to this don't come to the mm. classes. Okay, so there's a self-selection. Uh, yeah, there's obviously a self-selection because you have to kind of be interested. And number one, number two, if you you have to kind of be open to something innovative, or why would you go to a food business to learn about it? You know, labs approach business. And I, I think, you know, we all have internal resistance. So I guess it, it's, you know, one of the interesting things is that what we actually get is a lot of people who, when we get to the end of it and we do reflection and we ask them, you know, what, what was your biggest learning? A lot of them say, like, I, I just, I knew so much of this in my heart all along, but everybody's told me it was crazy. Mm. And, and now I'm going to go back to being who I really wanted to be in the first place. And I, I think that's a very powerful and meaningful thing. And that you must know, be good to hear, too. Like, this, is, this is how I tried to manage all along, but I always got yelled at. Uh-huh. You know? mm-hmm. That must be very so I, um, confirming for you to hear people say yeah, that. Yeah, and it's a beautiful thing for them to reaffirm themselves. And, and I think, you know, to that point, I mean, so much of this work, and you, you sort of referenced it, you know, in our, our talk today, but it's it's very much about human, you know, a natural state of positive human existence. and. I think actually most of the commercial business world, and it's not just business, it's not for profits and it's educational institutions too, but it's so aligned actually against natural human existence, but we become accustomed to it. Right. And and so it's sort of like, you, you know, we've been walking against the wind for 40 years and then all of a sudden the wind is with you. Right. It's just right. a lot easier. Well, we've run out of time. Um, I want to thank you, Ari, very much for being on Cutting the Curd and discussing managing ourselves. And I look forward to talking to you more about this topic when we next run into each other. That's my pleasure. And I just should add, we've kind of mindfully gone a little bit off the grid. And so the best place for people to get the books would be at zingtree.com. Okay, uh, As opposed to the more, I'm not even going to mention it, but the, okay. the all, all-inclusive <laughs> website that everything else seems to go through. Uh, okay, and, and people and then, can... And then my email is just ari at zingermans.com, and I'm happy to dialogue with folks directly, too. Thanks. Thanks a lot. This is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd, uh, interviewing Ari Weinswig on Managing Ourselves. We'll be back in a month. Thank you. for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at heritage underscore radio you can email us questions at any time at info at heritage radio network.org heritage radio network is a non-profit organization to donate and become a member visit our website today thanks for listening